Good evening and welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. Happy Thanksgiving to you. God bless you. My name is Kim Moore and, and I am humbled and grateful that that you're praying with us tonight. I tell you what, it means so much that you come on the call each week and stand with us as we carry out this assignment that the Lord has given us. I know some of our regulars are traveling or with family and let me know that they're unable to take part tonight. I know Amy is with family and uh, BJ and some of the regulars are with family. And so we bless them in their travels. We bless you if you are traveling and, and all of your interactions with your family. We bless you in the name of Jesus. And yet we're going to continue to press on to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus and continue to pray and to teach kingdom principles in the area of marriage. And as I said last week, we were praying for marriages for four reasons. One, husbands and wives need it. Every one of us on this line know of a couple that is struggling, um, and some quite severely, some even contemplating divorce. Um, but, but just dealing with, with difficult things inside of marriage. And then secondly, the unity in our nation. Many of us have been praying for unity in the body of Christ and unity in our nation. Well, that depends on unity in our homes among husband and wife. And the third reason is that marriage is the answer to the unity among the sexes. And as part of the scripture I read tonight, the Bible talks about that God made them male and female and a man leaves his, his, his parents and, and clings or cleaves to his wife and they become one. So the best opportunity for unity between male and female is through the marriage. And as we are restored, as we are redeemed and reconciled to God individually in our marriages, God lifts us up and we demonstrate what unity really looks like between the sexes. And in this hour, we need a reality check on what is unity, what is one in terms of the sexes. And then the last reason is because marriage is crucial to the revival in our nation. So many of us are praying for the great awakening, the, uh, the, the next revival. And so we have 27 states praying with us, and we're trusting God for 23 other states that we can experience revival in our homes and our marriages and that it would catch fire and that we would contribute to what God is doing and will do in the nation and throughout the world to awaken his people near and afar off. And as you know, beginning in 2020, we're not only going to pray on the line, but we're actually going to each state. We're starting with those that are represented on this line, and we will be praying in those states, and we will also do a, a, a two-hour seminar, hour-and-a-half seminar. We're still mapping out the details that we will teach kingdom principles in the area of marriage. And so we thank you again for being a part of what God is doing. Well, each week, for those of you that are new, we open with prayer, we teach, and then we pray the word that has been taught. So we'll just begin. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. We know that without faith it is impossible to please you and that he who comes to you must believe that you are and that you are the reward of them that diligently seek you. We thank you, Father, and we praise you that no intellect nor wisdom or plan of man can prevail against your counsel or your will. And so tonight we thank you for the counselor is with us in our midst, even through the Holy Spirit. 
truth concerning divorce and remarriage, cause the truth to smash the traditions of men that have made the word of God ineffective in the lives of husbands and wives. And now cause your word to release life, God, and freedom and hope to the hearts of husbands and wives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been discussing divorce and remarriage, and tonight I want to look at another scripture that Jesus talks about. And what we've been doing is looking at each of these scriptures because um, we have been taught on divorce and remarriage. And I just wanted to go back and just one by one look at these scriptures so that we can understand what is God really saying and perchance what is it that we've been taught. And so that's what we've been doing. We looked at Luke 16, 18. We've looked at Mark 10, 1 through 12. Last week we looked at Malachi 2. And then this, this week I want to look at Matthew 19. And you guys are all familiar uh, with the passage in Matthew 19, which I'll read. But it is, it is the similar, it's the same exchange that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Mark 10. Different writers um, the essence of it is the same, but Matthew 19 offers uh, a little bit more in addition to what Mark wrote. And just so you understand, Mark was probably the younger of, of Matt and Matthew, and um, his mother's house, in Acts 12.12, 12, his mother's house was used for meetings to, to teach and to speak about Jesus. And so Mark, from a young age, became a devoted follower of Christ. He then traveled with Paul and later with Peter to Rome, and was in prison with Peter. And so uh, Mark was strategic or significant in the ministry of Peter, often um, some writers say uh, interpreting uh, the Greek language uh, for Peter, in uh, interpreting and in, in writing and in, in spoken language. And so, you know, the gospel of Mark is heavily uh, influenced by uh, Mark's relationship with Peter. Matthew, on the other hand, was a tax collector. He was a businessman um, before he uh, he before he was called as one of the Lord's uh, the twelve disciples and 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 an apostle. Um, and because of that profession, and we understand that he was mathematically inclined. He had, you know, he had he had education, well educated, spoken. He was resourced and he was respected. He knew how to read and write, and, um, and so he, he really uh, brings a different flavor to the passage than in Mark. And as I said, he was a businessman. And so what I want to do is read uh, Matthew 19, 1 through 8, and then just talk about it a little bit, and then we will pray. So Matthew 19, 1 through 8, actually I'm going to read 1 through 12. And it says this, and this is the Passion Translation. After Jesus finished teaching them, he left Galilee and made his way toward the district of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Massive crowds followed him, and he healed all who were sick. The Pharisees were intent on putting Jesus to the test with difficult questions. So they approached him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus, haven't you read in the scriptures about creation? The creator made us male and female from, from the very beginning. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and live with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. From then on, they are no longer two, but united as one. So what God unites, let no one divide. 
They responded, so then why did Moses command us to give us to give a certificate of divorce and it would be lawful? Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce because of the hardness of your heart. The hard because I'm sorry, because your hearts are so hard and stubborn. But originally there was no such thing. But I say to you, whoever leaves his wife for any reason other than immorality and some translations say sexual immorality, then and takes another wife, is living in adultery. And whoever takes a divorced woman in marriage is also living in adultery. His disciples spoke up and said, if this is the standard, then it seems better never to marry. Not everyone is meant to remain single. This is Jesus speaking. Not everyone is meant to remain single. Only those whom God gives grace to be unmarried. For some are born to celibacy. Others have made themselves, have been made eunuchs by others. And there are some who have chosen to live in celibacy for the sacred purpose of heaven's kingdom realm. Let those that can accept this truth for themselves. Let those who can accept this truth for themselves. And another translation says some are not mature enough to be married. And so we'll look at that as we go on. But let me go back up here, and it says, um, let me get to my notes. And so when we get to uh, Matthew 19, 3, you know, a little context to that particular verse, Matthew 19, 19, I'm sorry, 19, 4 and 5, it says, haven't you read in the scriptures that God has made them male and female? For this reason, a man shall leave his wife, uh, leave his uh, mother, and be joined to his wife. The, the history behind this, these particular chapters, uh, in, in Matthew 14, it's, it gives the story of, uh, of John being beheaded. And he was beheaded because he condemned the marriage of Herod as adultery and incestuous. Herod married Herodias, uh, his granddaughter, which would constitute incest. He fell in love with his brother's wife, Philip, and he agreed to divorce his own wife so that he could be with Herodias, and Herodias agreed to leave her husband to live with Herod. So they were living in sin and in an incestuous and adulterous relationship, and John called him out on it and condemned him at the risk of his life. It would, have, it would cost him his life but he openly rebuked him for um, committing adultery and incest and called him out on it. And then later uh, he was beheaded. You'll know the story and may perhaps recall the story when uh, the the granddaughter asked, what, what can I give you for your birthday? And she said the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so Herod obliged her. And so that was that's the backdrop to this, and that's what made – this conversation with the disciples, I'm sorry, with the Pharisees, a little bit different than the one with Mark, because now the Pharisees are talking specifically and wanted to catch Jesus again, trapping him on the heels of what just happened with John the Baptist. And so uh, now let me go down to verse 7 and 8. And so he said, then why then did Moses command a certificate of divorce and thus to dismiss his wife? And he said, because of the hardness, the stubbornness, and perversity of your hearts, 
Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That word hardness is the, is the Greek word scleros, and it means to be hard, to be dried out, to be stiff, stubborn, uh, stubborn unyielding, uh, impenetrable. Um, just won't budge, won't bend, uh, just very, very harsh. And so Jesus was saying to them that Moses permitted divorce because there's no reasoning with you guys. You guys won't budge. You won't move. You won't change. And because of that, I'm going to grant a reprieve to the wife in that situation to protect her in those situations, as we learned from uh, Deuteronomy 24.1, Luke 16 and 18, Mark 10. 1 through 12, and now here again. And Matthew 19, 9 says, I say to you, whoever dis- dismisses his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Um, and so again, what you have here, Jesus is basically reiterating what we've already told in three. In Luke talked about it, Mark talked about it, and now here is the third witness. Let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. The reason why G. Moses permitted divorce is because the hardness of their heart and because of the way the Pharisees were using divorce and remarriage to satisfy their sexual appetites, which Jesus again condemns when he says he who divorces his wife and marries another has committed adultery. So again, he's a, he was addressing adultery um, and, and how the Pharisees were using divorce to fulfill and to satisfy their sexual appetites. But here's the, the caveat, and here's the difference in Matthew 19 uh, and 9. It's just, and, and I believe that, you know, when I think about God, he is a good God. He's an awesome God and a compassionate God. And I think in Matthew 19 that Jesus recognized that husbands aren't always the ones at fault here. We're in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus is an advocate of women. He is a promoter of women. And yet here we have Jesus recognizing um, that sometimes these men's spouses, their wife might be unfaithful, and that Jesus even provides husbands a way of an escape in this situation. Let me read it to you. It says in Matthew 19.9, But I say to you, whoever deletes his wife for any reason except sexual immorality and takes another wife is living in adultery, and whoever takes... Whoever takes a divorced woman in marriage is also living in adultery. Wait a minute. Let me go to another. Um, let me go to the to another version because uh, I want you to to hear this, and I think this particular translation leaves this 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 particular component out. Um, actually, it didn't. It said, except for sexual immorality. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marriage another. So what he was saying that if sexual immorality is present, then that husband or that wife is not liable, would not be committing adultery to divorce and remarry. So let me say that again. It says whoever divorces his wife, except the exception is that a spouse committing adultery or committing sexual immorality, because sexual immorality is not just adultery. 
Um, it, it, it could be lewd sexual behavior. It could be, I mean, there are the, 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 the gamut, the perversity. It could be uh, homosexuality. It, it could be bestiality, sexual immorality, sexual perversion is the, is the exception that Jesus gives uh, in terms of condemning divorce and remarriage. And so I believe that Jesus is compassionate when he recognizes, hey, this isn't all about the husbands just wanting to satisfy their sexual appetite. There are cases truly when the wife is at fault in sin and God in turn gives a way out uh, for these husbands. Because up until now, God has been largely talking to the Pharisees. So he's been talking about to men about their behavior. And this term for me is now including women as possibly being the perpetrator. And so in those situations, he is saying to a man, hey, listen, if this is the case and your wife is sexually perverse, sexually immoral, then you're not liable if you divorce and remarry. To you, it will not be adultery. Um, let me see. Um you know, you know, I think about women today. Women are not vulnerable as they were before. As I said last week, you know, in the in the Old Testament, and um, women were for property. They didn't have any rights. They didn't have the ability to protect or provide for themselves. And so, the law, the divorce, the, the Moses's law of divorce was to protect them and to support them in the process of a wayward husband. But again, today. When we think about the kingdom, truth applies to male or female. And God has a problem with a sexually, as much of a problem with a sexually immoral wife as he does with a sexually immoral husband. Sexual immorality is antichrist and inconsistent with the kingdom. And so I believe that God was recognizing that this could be the situation in some marriages. So what have we learned so far on divorce and remarriage is this. And this is in Matthew 19, 1 through 9, uh, Malachi 2, Mark 10, 1 through 12, Luke 16 and 18. One, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees about using the law of Moses to indulge themselves sexually. They were using divorce and remarriage to feed themselves sexually, their sexual appetite. Number two, Jesus exposed the Pharisees by condemning this practice, calling it adultery. So he was exposing, in fact, what the, what the Pharisees were doing. And three, Jesus, and, and this is real important, Jesus, I do not find, and you go back and study it yourself, I do not find that Jesus was establishing a doctrine or divorce in these, chapter, in these verses that we've shared thus far. Uh, when I say a doctrine, I mean like a dogma. I mean like something that is immutable. For instance, the Ten Commandments are doctrine. They are a dogma. Um, they're unchangeable, you know, irrefutable. Jesus being the only mediator between man and God, ir, you, it's inconvertible. You can't change it. It stands. There is no bend in that. It is dogma. And if you're a Christian, I mean, the word dogmatic becomes uh, comes from that word. Uh, the Bible says that there's, there's only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved, and his name is Jesus Christ. That is doctrine. That is central and uh, to the doctrine of Christianity. 
Well, the verses we've talked about on divorce and remarriage are not doctrine. They are not a dogma. They don't apply to every single situation across the board as it's been taught. These scriptures, um, they're not the final word. They're not the the, the end-all and be-all on divorce and remarriage. Every situation is different. And Matthew 19.9 makes it clear when Jesus offers an exception. So there are exceptions. This is one exception. And we'll talk about some other exceptions that Paul notes in Corinthians. But this is one exception to what Jesus was teaching on divorce and remarriage. And then number four, these scriptures are most helpful in allowing the Holy Spirit to examine our own motives uh, when we're considering divorce for those that do. And it offers those uh, to whom these scriptures may apply, you know, God's advice, his best advice, his preference, his will um, for us to, to yield to as we seek to please him and serve him. And number, you know, when you're considering divorce, um, as some inevitably will, um, some are, and you know people that are. Here's the thing. God evaluates the motives in our heart not simply the behavior. Proverbs 16.2 says, all of, all of the man, man's ways are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord evaluates the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Uh, another version says, the Lord weighs the motives. Hebrews 12 says that the word distinguishes our thoughts and our motivation. In other words, the word of God, the spirit of God, separates what we think from why we think it, from what we do, from why we do it. So you can have two people doing the same thing, and one is condemned and one is received, or one is accepted and one is rejected. Cain and Abel both offered. They they both engaged in the behavior of making an offering to God. One was accepted and one was rejected. It came down to motives. And so when we are looking at divorce and remarriage, I believe that God is looking at motives and not so much the action or the behavior that a person is trying to engage. So some other things that a person might think about if they're contemplating divorce or questions they might ask. One, why do I want to divorce? And you can keep asking the question why, why, till you get down to the nitty-gritty of really what's motivating you to want to, to divorce a person. Secondly, what am I afraid of? That's a great question to ask because fear motivates people to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. So what is it I'm afraid of? You could also ask, is unforgiveness contributing to my desire to divorce? Is unforgiveness contributing to my desire of divorce? And is divorce the most loving thing I can do for all concerned? Well, that's a novel question. Well, it's an important question because the, um, the, Jesus gave two commandments in the, New Te- in the New Testament. One, love him with everything, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. In the same manner, we're to love our neighbor. And so the question becomes, what is the most loving thing I can do given the situation I, that I am in for my spouse, for myself, for my kids? What is the most loving thing to do? And the, the truth is none of us can judge another's heart. And so it really does become a matter between you and God. Again, I've prefaced this and I've made the disclaimer and I'll say it again, that 
I do not tell anyone to to divorce. That's not my place. That's not. That's not. I won't. I don't want anyone to hang that their justification for making that decision on me or anyone else. I do think that as a minister, my responsibility is to facilitate uh, that person having an encounter with God around the decisions and the things that they are contemplating so that they can make their decisions, which they'll ultimately have to be accountable to before God. And so, again, these teaching is not advocating divorce. It's just really trying to open the scriptures so that we can have a a, a concrete understanding of what Jesus was saying in this topic that is that is prevalent even among Christians, that is divorce. And then last week, and then I'll pray, last week I said this. I said, there are some that God has given the grace to endure a difficult spouse, perhaps even verbal abuse or emotional uh, a spouse that's emotionally abusive. But sometimes God does give the grace um, uh, to endure. I think it's in Corinthians. It says there's no temptation but that such as is common to man. And God will either provide a way of escape or enable you to endure it. And so God does give the grace for some to endure. Uh, I think of Smith, Smith Wigglesworth's wife. And before he was saved, he was an alcoholic and how he would come home and just be abusive. And God gave her the grace to love this man through that process that many of you know and have read and have heard of Smith Wigglesworth, who was a, a, a great uh, pioneer in, in, in the faith. And so if you have the grace, if God has given you the grace to endure, that grace is accompanied by his strength. It's accompanied by the ability or to maintain your ability to make independent decisions. It is accompanied by the ability to pray and take part in a local body of believers that are supportive of you as an individual. And when God gives you the grace to endure a difficult spouse, he also issues the love and patience that are needed to remain in that situation. Now, if you're being physically abused, I always say get out of the way. And when your ability to honor God, serve God is compromised, where you're losing your identity and who you are in this situation, then I'm not sure that's the grace of God enabling you to endure. It just might be your will, your desire, and, and, and in some cases your misunderstanding of Scripture that keeps you in this self-effort. An example of that would be the spouse that's codependent, but that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Let me, Matthew 19, 11, and 12 it says not everyone is mature enough to live a life unmarried or to live the married life. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth uh, seemingly never give, in, give to marriage. Others never get asked or accepted, and some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you're capable of growing into the largest largeness of marriage, do it. Here's the thing. Marriage is our last chance to grow up. Let me say that again. Marriage is your last chance to grow up. And the reason it's your last chance to grow up is this. Usually wherever you got stuck emotionally as a child, God will bring it to the forefront in your marriage so that he can heal you and deliver you, redeem you, and strengthen you so that you can be a fully functioning adult 
full of his glory reflecting him in your relationship. And when, when we refuse to grow up, the marriage relationship suffers. There's no living thing that is, not, that is, either, it is either growing or it is dying. So when we refuse to grow, one, we immediately begin to die and our relationship will suffer. And finally, marriage is perfect. You think about it. It does the exact same thing every single time and with precision to every man and woman that enter it. It's designed to change us and to prepare us for marriage with the Lamb. And we taught on before this, the three things that marriage does to every single man and woman that enter into marriage. It does it without precision. And when we stay in marriage and when we respond to God in marriage, then we become what he would have us to be. So let us pray. Father, we just thank you and we praise you. You said in Matthew five twenty-seven and 28, Lord, that, You shall not commit adultery, but you say, Jesus, whoever looks on a woman or even a man to lust after her or him has committed adultery with her or him in his heart, God. So we thank you, Lord, that it's not our behavior that you're looking at. You're looking at the heart that, Lord, produces the behavior. And so, Father, we thank you tonight for cleansing the souls of your people, the mind, will, uh, and, 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 and emotions of your people tonight, Father. You said in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that you do not look on the appearance or the height or the stature or the outward man, um, but you look on the heart. You look on the motivations, the thoughts, and the intents of the heart, God. We thank you that all of a man's ways seem right in their own eyes, but you are evaluating the motives, God. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help husbands and wives, God, to get in touch with their motives, God, to see and watch what their heart is thinking and producing, God. For you said, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak, Father. So I thank you, Lord, for lifting the scales from the eyes of husbands and wives, God, that they can see the true motivations of their heart, that they will begin to ask why. God, they will begin to ask why they think the way they think, why they do what they do, God. Lord, I pray and I thank you, Lord, that the blood of of Jesus Christ has set your people free, God. And so, Father God, we partake of your freedom tonight by eating your word and holding it in our hearts and letting it do its perfect work in us. For you said, God, your word is perfect for converting the soul, God. And we want to be converted husbands and wives in Jesus' name. Lord, we desire the mind that was in Christ Jesus. We desire, Lord, you to live your life out in us that the world might see and know that you're God. Lord, we thank and we praise you that you have given us a living word that is full of energy and it pierces, Lord. And Lord, separates God and penetrates us to the very core of our being, Father. Lord, I thank you that your word, God, would separate our what we think from why we think it, Father. I thank you, Lord. Lord, we bring our motives to light, God. We ask you to reveal our motives to us. Show us our motives, God, that we might choose this day whom we'll serve, God. Lord, we just bless you and we honor you tonight for who you are. We thank you, Father God, that you're for the rightly dividing your word. And, Lord, I thank you, Father God, if I've said anything amiss that doesn't reflect your truth and your word, God. Cause it to roll off the 
the backs of these people like water rolls off a wet duck's back, God. But anything, Lord, that has come from your throne in your heart, in your mouth, God, cause it to stick to this people like Velcro, God. Lord, wrap them around with your word. Bind them together, God, with the word of the living God, Lord. Hold them together, Father. And I pray for the one contemplating divorce now, and I say be anxious for nothing, but in everything. <clears throat> By prayer and supplication, make your request, make your heart known to God, and his peace will bind your heart and your soul together in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you are a living God. You are true and only God. And we thank you that many are the plans of men, but the counsel of the Lord shall stand in Jesus' name. We bless you, and I thank you for everyone on this call. I thank you, Father God. Lord, for their time, I thank you for their sacrifice. I thank you for their faith. I thank you for their encouragement. I thank you for their donations. God, I thank you. I thank you. God, my heart is swollen with thanksgiving today, God, as you bless your people, God, with the word of God. Now, Father God, as we plan to go to the state, Lord, beginning in January, Father, I pray that you continue to map out the way, cause your word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you, God, for those that are going with us, those that will stand with us, those that are resourcing this work, Father God. I just bless you, and I thank you for each one of them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I bless you, and I thank you so much again for your time and, and just encouraging and being a support to the work that God is doing uh, through this line and, and, and even in marriage. I believe we're in a new era in marriages and that God is dispensing fresh revelation and that he is creating new wine, new wineskins to be able to receive new wine. And so we've talked about jumping for joy. That's what we're calling going from state to state. It's called jumping for joy. And we're actually coming to your state to jump for joy as we declare the word of God and teach kingdom principles. And if you're interested in being a part of that, if you will email me at Kim at more, my last name, M-O-O-R-E on relationships.com and just let me know. And we'll be sure to include you uh, in the process and, and organizing and getting things together that we can come to your state and lift up the name of Jesus, that he would draw husbands and wives to himself. Well, I want to wish you the best Thanksgiving ever, ever, that the love that God sheds abroad in your heart would spill over into the lives of those, your family, your family, and your friends this Thanksgiving and this holiday season. We bless you with the blessings that make you rich and add no sorrow to your life in Jesus' name. Well, the replay number for today's call is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. And the reference code for today's call is 75 pounds. As always, I appreciate when you share these calls on your social media, when you comment and let people know what's happening. And we just thank God for the continued momentum as he declares his word in this nation. Well, we will see you on the call next week. God bless you. Safe travels. 
and enjoy your holiday in Jesus' name.